You're listening to TIP. I give it credit to the power of walking. <laughs> the Stoics said that, you know, so many thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, it's get out and hike and walk on, on your own. And so I do that often. We have a trail right off our property here and I take no electronics with me and I just go and I hike for, you know, hour, hour and a half. And it's just amazing how many cool insights you get. And that was one of those that I just downloaded and it was just, it just hit home for me. So I'm glad, I'm glad you dug it because I really did when I was just like, ooh, thank you. In this week's episode, I talk with Rich Fetke about what it means to be a wise investor. Rich Fetke is the co-founder of Real Wealth with his wife, Kathy, author of Extreme Success and his newest book, The Wise Investor. And he's even competed in ESPN's X Games. Outside of wealth building and real estate, Rich is a record-holding bungee jumper, licensed skydiver, experienced rock climber, heli skier, surfer, and highliner. I didn't really think we'd have somebody more into action sports ever on the show than me, but it looks like we have found that guest. And now, without wasting any more time, let's get right into this week's episode with Rich Fetke. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Rich Fetke. Rich, welcome to the show. Good to be here, man. Thank you for inviting me. Not a lot of authors writing investing books take the approach you did with your book, but clearly it has resonated with people as you have some pretty heavy hitters who have endorsed your book, such as Robert Kiyosaki, Ken McElroy, and Brandon Turner. Why did you write a financial book as a story? Yeah, actually, Kiyosaki wrote the forward for me, which I was blessed and honored to have him do that. And in the forward, he talks about that. He just says that there's so many nonfiction books out there that convey information, but a lot of times people don't finish them and they don't connect with people sometimes emotionally. I had written 20 years ago, I wrote my first book uh, called Extreme Success. And that was very much a personal development, personal growth book. And it was a nonfiction book. And I learned after that, that 86% of people don't make it past the second chapter of a nonfiction book. So I didn't want to have that happen with my book. With this, I really wanted to convey this wisdom and this knowledge that I've gained over the last 20 years, running our company Real Wealth, helping people invest in real estate, being an investor myself, and when I went through. So the story is to convey this information in an emotional way, to one, to be an engaging story that you want to you want to keep reading it. You want to keep turning the pages. And basically, it tells a story of this a husband, a father. He's a real hardworking family man, but he works so many hours that he doesn't have time for his wife or his kids or even his life. And then he meets this new friend and mentor who walks him through this process and mentors him and shows him this new path to financial security for himself, for his family. And honestly, he becomes wealthy in more ways than one, more than just money. To most people not ingrained in the financial world or with a passion for personal finance and investing, wealthy means having a lot of money. But as many of us who study financial freedom know, that's only part of the equation. Why do you think so many people think about wealth and financial freedom wrong? And what is the right way to think about it? Yeah, I mean, this hit home for me. I mean, going back, what happened to me after that book deal with Simon & Schuster, I was diagnosed with melanoma and they thought it had spread to my liver. And the oncologist said, it looks like you've got about six months to live. So it really rocked my world. And that's, that was the impetus for my wife, Kathy, to learn about real estate investing. She realized that she was a stay-at-home mom at the time, and she had to find a way to make ends meet if, if I died. And that's where she learned about real estate investing. She, she sought mentors who taught her about how to do it. And it really changed things for us. It showed us a new path to financial freedom. And I was a, thankfully, the doctor's diagnosis was wrong. The melanoma had not spread to my liver. So I'm still here today. But that's what got us going into real estate investing. So we formed this group that we thought would be a small group of investors to help our friends and family and 
we thought it was going to be you know, a couple hundred people maybe. And today that group has grown to over 64,000 members at Real Wealth. In that, that's why we called it Real Wealth is way back then, that was 2003 when we started this company, there was more of a focus just on drive and you know, material possessions and making more money and such a focus on that. There wasn't that much talk about, there wasn't even, you know, there was no such thing as fire back then. Right? And there was no such thing not much, or not much talk about financial freedom. And now today, I think people have woken up really to that there's a lot more to life than just money. So that's why we called our company Real Wealth. It was about not only just having a lot of money or money, it was also about having the freedom to live life on your own terms. And that was our purpose. That was our drive ever since we started the company. And so that's it. You know, I, I live in Malibu, California. There's a lot of money here. There's a lot of rich people. But as we've heard, you know, some people are so poor, all they have is money. So it's like you get these people who are so financially wealthy, but they're relationship poor or their life poor or their health poor. So it's so important to us, to me, it's, I feel it's my purpose to really help people create real wealth. That is our purpose at our company is helping people create real wealth and having the money and the freedom to live life on their own terms. I think that's it. It's like there's something there around taking a focus on only money and learning that as a coach. Um, before we started Real Wealth, I was a business and personal coach for 15 years. And I'd work with a client and I'd pull out this life wheel and there was 10 areas of their life. And I'd sit down and say, okay, let's just complete this life wheel. I want us to take a snapshot of where you are in your life right now. And I want you to rate these different areas of your life, zero to 10. Zero, it sucks. 10, it couldn't get any better. And it goes all the way around. So it goes career and money, you know, important. But then there's health, there's your significant other and romance, there's personal development and growth and learning. There's fun and recreation, spirituality. And a lot of times I'd be coaching like a CEO or a business owner and they'd say, no, 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 I don't. This is not what I want to coach on. I, I want to coach on profits. I want to coach on making more money. And I would just pause and just say, okay, we're definitely going to coach on that. However, do you realize that if you don't put attention over here and significant other and romance, that you could end up losing 50% of that money, right? 50% of those assets if you don't take care of that relationship. And they're like, oh, it's a good point. Or I'd say, you know, how about over here, health and fitness? You know, if you don't take care of that, you could lose 100% of that because you're not going to be here to enjoy it. Most of the times people would just say, oh, wow, yeah, that's true. Okay, let's fill this thing out and look at it. And usually we would have more goals working together than just their finances. All of a sudden, they would be getting in better shape. They'd be a better spouse. They'd be spending more time with their family. They'd start to structure their life in a way that was on purpose, that was fulfilling, that was real and authentic. That's, that's the way we see real wealth. And that's why I think it's important. Not only do you look at those things from a different perspective, but the mentor in your story also has an unconventional perspective on a little bit more traditional financial concept, and that's assets and liabilities. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, it's looking at it the same type of thing. And again, these are the lessons that I've learned with running Real Wealth now for 19 years. And Kathy and I will interview people on, on our podcast and we'll ask them, you know, what is Real Wealth to you? Or where were you? And what did you do? And where are you now? So seeing the stories of these different folks and what they've done and what they've accomplished, it just got me thinking. I was actually on a hike once and I was just pondering this thing about assets. And yeah, you know, so often we look at assets as just like the money making things. You know, I think Robert Kiyosaki did a great job at really having us look at assets versus liabilities on the financial sense. But on this hike, I was thinking about, you know, it feels like there's more than that. I see assets in the way that mentor describes assets to his mentoree, is who names Ryan Brooks is the character in, in the Wise Investor book. He says that uh, assets are anything that brings you income or better health or happiness. Or time, really. Those are assets. And then liabilities, you flip that around, it's on the other side. So a liability is anything that costs you money or costs you health or costs you relationships or costs you time. So it's almost like you get to compartmentalize and just say, okay, is this an asset or is this a liability? You can even look at like the people in your life. Is this person an asset in my life? Do they add to my life? Is it more fulfilling? Is this a great relationship? Do they help me get ahead? Do I help them get ahead? Or are they toxic? Are they a drain? Are they a liability? And you can start to, that's just one example. And you can look at that like a filter and just say, you know what? 
I need to have, I need to have a conversation with this relationship with this person. Or you might say, you know, I, I need to move on. I need to put more people around me that are assets. And so that's one example, but it could be anything, you know, looking at time, you can really look at that. It's like, is this an asset? Is this going to save me time? Is it going to bring me more time? And we hear that when you talk about, you know, when in business, our people are our greatest assets, right? Businesses are made of people. And so they're often our greatest assets because they're freeing up our time. They're doing the things that they're great at. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And there's people on our team. We have about 22 employees. And there's a lot of people on our team that are way smarter than I am, especially in their specific areas of expertise. So I think that's another one. They're real assets. They really, they free up my time. They help me grow the business and expand the business like a team. You know, We're all in it together. And the only thing more important than a great idea really is a team that can see it through, right? <laughs> I think it's so important. Your entire presentation at the conference that we were just at together was great. And, and I really enjoyed the whole thing. But this Thank you. piece about assets and liabilities is what stuck with me the most. I have notes on my notebook specifically from that because I had only heard people talk about assets and liabilities from a financial perspective. You always hear people argue, oh, that's an asset. No, it's a liability. And people can go back and forth. Some take the Robert Kiyosaki kind of approach to it. And a lot of people change their perspective because of that little purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But the first time I had heard it framed this way, was from you. And I really like this concept of not just financial, but time, health, wealth, you know, happiness. I really like considering those as part of your asset liability equation as well. Thank you. You know, it's, I give it credit to the power of walking. <laughs> and the Stoics said that, you know, so many thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago, it's get out and hike and walk on, on your own. And so I do that often. We have a trail right off our property here and I take no electronics with me. And I just go and I hike for you know hour, hour and a half. And it's just amazing how many cool insights you get. And that was one of those that I just downloaded and it was just it just hit home for me. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you dug it because I really did when I was just like, ooh, thank you, subconscious or whatever I, I just tapped into. I really like that. Yeah, I really like it as well. And and a friend of mine, he actually founded the podcast company that this show is a part of, Stig. He also says he gets some of his best thinking done when he's walking. Him and I will have kind of strategy meetings about the business, talk about where we should go, what we should do, what we should change, et cetera. And he always, almost always says, all right, I need to go for a walk and think about this and decide where to go from here. A lot of people think climbing the corporate ladder is going to eventually get them to where they want to be financially. But why do you think climbing the corporate ladder actually doesn't give the financial security that a lot of people think that it will or that they're looking for? Yeah, you know, that's why I wove that story into the wise investor. I really gave thought to what is it that I want to communicate? What is it that I really want to have people shift and and move in a different direction or almost have a new awareness? And it was again coming from the members of our network who were trying to climb that corporate ladder. And they were working so many hours and working so hard and not really able to get ahead. So I see there's something in there about this. One, number one, it doesn't create freedom. So often, climbing the corporate ladder takes away freedom. You have to keep putting in more hours to get the next promotion. And then they give you more responsibility and you, get, you feel just stuck. And it's, sometimes it's, you get trapped in that corporate ladder. And you know, it's like the old Stephen Covey, you got to make sure that ladder is leaning in against the right wall. <laughs> sometimes people are climbing up. It's like, oh man, this is not the wall I wanted to climb. So I think that it can be a trap. I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. You, you can have a corporate job. What I'm trying to convey in the book is the importance of having your money make money, being that wise investor, investing. There's something about getting trapped in that and getting comfortable and being safe. And so I think that's where getting caught on that corporate ladder is so often is because people fear the change. They fear the change of stepping off that ladder. And they're like, then what? Then what would I do? And what if I fail? I think that's a huge part around that corporate ladder trap. And you, you just like the, the character in the book, the protagonist, you know, he's climbing that corporate ladder, but he learns to do things on the side through his mentor about investing and about growing a business. And so he really sees that. And then, you know, five years later, you get to see what happened and what he learned along the way and how he's created financial freedom. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. 
We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com mi. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash mi for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash mi for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet. But I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. A big piece of going after and obtaining financial freedom is the right mindset. So how can people shift their limiting beliefs that are keeping them stuck and blind to what's possible in their lives and finances? I mean, isn't it wild? It's like, we all have that. We all have those limiting beliefs and they usually come from childhood. And that's what I learned so much through coaching is it didn't matter who I was coaching, those CEOs that I mentioned, the entrepreneurs the artists, the attorneys. It's like every single person I ever coached has this inner voice, that negative inner voice. I like to call the gremlin. Uh, I have it too. You know, it definitely came up. I was diagnosed learning disabled when I was a kid. So I've got a really powerful gremlin that tells me I'm stupid. I'm never going to amount to anything. It's recognizing that gremlin. The reason I like to call it a gremlin is like you get to separate it from reality. You get to say, oh, this is little voice in my head. This is a little guy or gal that's berating me. And it's those little whispers in our mind that we're not aware of. And it's running these old programs. So it's telling you, you're going to fail. You're not going to make it. Look at this person failed. You're, the same thing's going to happen to you. The way to handle it, the how-to really is to recognize it because the gremlin is so powerful in the dark. It runs the show and it will, it'll pull the strings. You know, it's the puppeteer. But when you shine the light on that gremlin, it loses its power. It's like, oh, it's exposed. Trying to do that, seeing it as like the enemy doesn't really work too well because it's in our subconscious and our subconscious, as we all know, is way more powerful than our conscious, conscious mind. So it's by recognizing it. So I'd like to do what I would do with my clients, what I do with myself is having the physical, the noticeable physical signs that is like something's going on. So it's like, if you think about yourself, it's like when you're stressed out, when something's getting you, when you're feeling negative, when you've when that gremlin might be whispering to you or even screaming at you, 
It's like what shows up in your body physically to notice that. So for me, it's like I clench my jaw. That's, you know, if I'm clenching my jaw or I'm furrowing my brow, a lot of times though, that's the gremlin. That's a sign. It's like, oh, something's going on here. Something's stressing me out. Or it's uh, sometimes it's me jumping to project to project and feeling like there's not enough time and something's going on and, and I'm, I'm feeling irritated and stressed or I'm, I'm, I get a little snappy. That's another noticeable sign. For me, it's like a red flag that comes up and say, ooh, this might be the gremlin. And then it's just the process of the best thing to do is just stop and notice it. And the best way to do that, as I went over in that my talk in the conference, is breathing. It's just an incredible tool that we all have that deep breathing. And basically what happens on a... I love the science behind the wisdom. It's on a physiological level, what we're doing when you take that deep, deep breath into your belly and you hold it for a moment and then you let it out, especially in through the nose and out through the nose, that deep breathing, it stimulates the vagus nerve, which runs all the way down to your gut, but it also goes past the diaphragm and that vagus nerve goes up to the prefrontal cortex of our brain. And so it basically, it stimulates and it controls our heart rate variability, which is one of the best things we can do to be calm, to be grounded, to be more confident. That deep breathing, it just, it shifts us on a physiological level. It actually changes our our neural makeup, neural transmitters change. We start firing in a different way. So that deep breathing, you slow down and that's the first step. And then you just say, huh, okay, gremlin. I think you're here. I think you're saying something to me. What do you need? What do you need right now? And it it sounds a little woo-woo or hokey or something like that, but it's amazing how it works because what we're really doing, again, is tapping into the subconscious. And when you don't try to battle the gremlin, if you're like, no, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm just going to push through this. It's going to win. It's going to still be running the show. But our subconscious is so powerful tapping into it by breathing and just saying, ah, okay, you're afraid right now. You're trying to protect me. And you know we we were born with this little guy in our head that's tried to um, or this little gal again you know it's trying to protect us from embarrassment or a failure or a loss so it's actually our protector it's trying to do its best job but it often overprotects and it often protects us based on what happened to us in the past not the current reality it often looks at what who we used to be but we keep getting better right we keep learning and getting better and becoming better versions of ourselves tapping in and just saying okay gremlin. What do you need right now? I hear you. I hear, I know you're trying to protect me. What do you need right now? And it's really trippy. It's really amazing how that little voice will say, I need this. I need you to research this. I need you to do some due diligence here. I need you to learn a little bit more. I need you to reach out to this person and get support, get some help. I need you to uh, connect with your mentor and ask your mentor what's going on and all that and bring this up. Be authentic, be transparent. So a lot of times you get that answer, almost always, you'll get an answer from that inner voice that's going to say, this is what I need. And then it quiets down. And then you can even say, I just I close my eyes and I do those, that deep breathing. I have that conversation with my gremlin. I say, what do you need? And then I'll even say, is there anything else you need? Anything else you need for me to move forward? And then you know, sometimes they'll say, yeah, I also need this from you. Sometimes they'll be like, no, I'm good. You do that and, and we're good to go. And it's amazing that fear drops down and you get more grounded and you get to move forward toward what's most important to you. A lot of this I learned from adventure sports. I love to rock climb and surf. We used to bungee jump a lot and skydive, all these things. And so it's the same type of thing. I really learned a lot of these tools with those adventure sports to be able to get grounded, to do the deep breathing and really find out, you know, say like bungee jumping. It's like if it's saying, I think you're going to die. I don't want you to die. You say, okay, what do you need? I need you to make sure that you're, you're connected to the bungee cords. You know, you do the double check, you know, and I, I need to know that the other end of the cords are hooked to the bridge. You know, you double check that. Is there anything else? And it, so you go through this process. So that's kind of an extreme way to look at it, but it shows up in anything. It shows up in our relationships. It shows up in our business relationships, shows up before we go into make a sales call or a presentation uh, to speak in front of an audience. Yeah. Super powerful. How can we tailor that to financial freedom? What if somebody is thinking to themselves, they want financial freedom, they want to achieve that, but their little gremlin is telling them they, they don't have what it takes, they don't, they're not smart enough, they can't do it, whatever the reason is. How can we kind of fight that gremlin to achieve financial freedom? Yeah, that's great. And I would just change that word a little bit instead of fighting the gremlin because it it's almost like what we're told to do, you know, feel the fear and, and feel the fear and do it anyway. 
And there's some truth to that, but it's like, feel the fear, listen to the fear, find out what it needs, then do it (laughs) once you get some answers. So I think it's the same thing with financial freedom. It's, yeah, I go through the same thing. I know I got a gremlin that says everything you've developed and everything you've grown, all the money that you have, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. You know, I know there's a lot of fear right now in the world with the economy and what's happening with our deficit, with interest rates rising. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I missed the boat for investing. You know, it's all that gremlin is just like, oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that to try to protect. So it's the same process. It's slow it down, get grounded, breathe, say, this is what I want. And when you get clarity about what you want and imagine that, And just like the process we went through in that talk that I just gave, it's this process of looking forward into your future. I think it's really powerful to just slow down and think about really who is your future self? Where are you 10 years from today? And really close your eyes. Imagine that person. Imagine meeting your future self 10 years from now. And imagine they they have financial freedom and kind of go through the day with your future self and look at how they're living, what they're doing, all that stuff. That taps into a different part of the brain, that reticular activating system that has you look for opportunities that can create that. But if it's when you see that financial freedom, you see that future self. If you don't see it, then that's a, that's a good sign to be like, okay, based on your subconscious, the way you're living now is not going to get you to financial freedom. But it's when you tap in and you see your future self and it's a vision that you like, it's like, oh, okay, I can get there. I just need to keep taking the steps. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I keep growing, I keep learning, then I will get there. And then so it's coming back. Once you get clear on that's what I want, that's what my future self looks like, that's what my life looks like in the future, that's financial freedom. Then you can just say, okay, what are those potential obstacles? Okay, gremlin, what are you afraid of? What do you need from me? What are those obstacles that might come up on this journey? And then you start to get some answers. And it's really powerful. There's been studies on this around looking at, it's called WHOOP. And she has this process called WHOOP. It's wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. So the wish is you think, and they did a lot of studies on this. So they basically, they have people look at one group would just say, what's your goal? What do you want to achieve? And then they go, cool, write it down. Now go for it. And then the other group, they said, what's your outcome? What do you want to achieve? They said, okay, cool. Now what obstacles might you encounter? And they would list all their obstacles and they would be, if then, then that. So if this obstacle comes up, here's what I'll do. If this obstacle comes up, this is what I'll do. And then they followed up with this group later. And the group that thought about their obstacles had an incredibly higher percentage of accomplishing their goals than I can't remember the percentage, but it was was way up there. It was like over 50%, um, I think more up in the 70 or 80%. The people who looked at their obstacles ahead of time had this much higher rate of accomplishing their goals than the group that didn't. Because they were prepared when those obstacles came up. They didn't just shut down and say, oh, that's it. This isn't working or anything like that. And it's like, or even if it's on like a diet or something like that, the people who thought about, wow, okay, my goal is to lose 10 pounds. And one obstacle might be going to a party and there's going to be all these foods that are on the naughty list. (laughs) If that happens, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to behave. So any type of obstacle like that. And so it just increases your odds. What role? does or can real estate play in kind of this whole picture that we've been talking about and also someone's journey towards financial freedom? Do they have to invest in real estate to become financially free? I don't know. Not You don't have to. I think you have to invest in assets, especially if it's financial. We're talking about financial assets. So if you have to invest in assets that are going to have your money grow, have your money work for itself, have your money make money. In the Wise Investor book, that is the main character, the protagonist, his wife has a business. And so she starts to learn through the mentor and the mentor's wife, she starts to learn about how to really grow her business and really turning into a cash flow machine and to really grow that. So the book kind of sandwiches that. It's like whatever that asset is that you can invest in, you can put your time and your effort and your money into that's going to grow and it's going to be like that golden goose that's going to keep laying the golden eggs. It could be a business. It could be real estate. I mean, you can, you can do it with the stock market. I think it's just a less effective way to do that because it's in stock investing, which I think so many Americans put their focus on there. We're so trained by Wall Street that when people here invest, they think stocks, right? <laughs> they think it's investing in the stock market and mutual funds and whatever it is, EFTs. So there's this lack of awareness, I would say, you know, and us as real estate investors, we've learned it over time. 
the people who've read that purple book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, have, have learned it and really stepped back to say like, you know, there's so many benefits. I mean, those big five, you know, you got, you got monthly cash flow, you got appreciation, you know, monthly cash flow coming in if you have whatever type of real estate, rental properties, apartments, whatever it might be, even self-storage, it could be mobile home parks, but it's that ongoing, consistent monthly cash flow that keeps growing over time. That can create financial freedom. You've got the appreciation of real estate over time, which can also create financial freedom. You got the tax benefits, which doesn't really make you money, but it saves you money. You know, we know that the huge benefits of the tax savings that you get from owning investment properties and the depreciation, it's it's incredible. So there's so many benefits to that. And then now with crazy inflation too, there's this hedge against inflation, getting locked in on a long-term loan at a low rate. And as the dollar devalues over time, which we're seeing that happen drastically now, having that hard asset is an amazing hedge against inflation. Do I think real estate's the best way to create financial freedom? Absolutely. But there are other ways to do it. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. Give us a quick overview or rundown of your background and your experience with real estate. I know you're a real estate investor yourself. So give us a a timeline and and a little bit of color around your experience there. Yeah, I've had some lessons learned. 
some things have worked well. More things have worked well than they haven't worked, but I definitely learned some lessons over time. But it was way back then in you know, 2003 when I got that diagnosis and Kathy found this way uh, to create a new way to, uh, to bring income. And it was through real estate investing. And soon after that, we were, um, Kathy had uh, one of the earliest podcasts way back in 2005, and she had Robert Kiyosaki on it. And he said, sell your high-priced California properties and go to Texas. That's where things are happening. And we took his advice, and that's what we ended up helping other people do. And so we went out to north of, De- north of Dallas, a little place called Rockwall, Texas, and Wiley, Texas. And we ended up buying five investment properties out there. And that was an icebreaker for us. It was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. We you know, locked in. We had our monthly cash flow coming in every month. And it really just... you know, That first investment property is such a mindset shift, isn't it? And it's just like, you start to see things in a whole new way. And you're like, oh, wow, if I can do this with one, I can do it with five. I can do it with 20. And I can grow from there. I love single family as a start for anyone because it's so easy to understand, uh, especially if you've bought a property in your primary. You know, buying that second property is not too much gremlin in there. It's like, oh, I can get this. I can, and then over time, you learn it. You start to, you know, learn financial analysis and cash flows, and then you can grow and, and graduate from there into larger properties or different types of some vehicles. So anyway, but for, for me, so that was our start. It was buying these these five properties uh, in Texas, and we didn't take our advice. We're like, you know, telling our group of investors, you know, take our advice because we're not using all of it. <laughs> you know, what we didn't do is we didn't sell our high priced California properties. We had a couple that we were holding because they had been appreciating like over a hundred thousand dollars a year for several years. And we're like, we just were in that mindset of like, it's going to keep going up. And then 2008 hit, we lost a lot. We had to do short sales on there. And it just, it really it was a punch in the gut. So it really told us a lot about every property has to make sense from the day you buy it. You have to at least have some cash flow in there and financial reserves. So I think that's huge. So then we went on from there, starting real wealth and helping other investors grow. And we started to invest with these other investors. So at Real Wealth, we have about a dozen property teams and brokers around the country that we've been in relationship with for many years and over a decade. And they're like the boots on the ground. So they're separate companies, but they find these incredible properties. They fix them up to rent-ready condition. And or nowadays, they've been doing a lot of new builds. So brand new builds, they put property management in place. And that's what we do at Real Wealth. We educate investors and then we refer them to these other property teams and brokers so they can acquire these cash flowing properties. And so that's what Kathy and I did. We started to put our own portfolio together, properties in um, Florida, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Cleveland, Ohio, a lot of in that that kind of that southeast area in the south, just because you know better cash flow, it doesn't make sense to invest in. You're not going to get cash flow in California. It's pretty hard to do that unless you're doing like short-term rentals. And then, um, so we were just on that path. And then in 2010, we had a developer come to us, and because we had grown our reputation and we were out there, just. In the media, Kathy had been doing a lot of uh, a new shows. She's been asked to be a guest expert on like Fox News and CBS and CNBC and Money Watch, all these things. This developer called one day and he said, I've got a project up in Portland, Oregon. This is after Lehman Brothers collapse and it was so hard to get financing. And this guy had an $8 million construction loan. He was almost done building these townhomes right on the river in Portland, but he ran out of money. And so he was desperate and this developer had located and found this. And he said, if you guys can raise $3 million, we can assume this construction loan, bail this guy out and take this project over. So that was our first syndication. And so we sent out some emails and said, hey, we're, doing, we're raising funds and it broke some SEC rules back then, back in 2010. But we learned about syndicating and bringing a group of investors together to take on a bigger project. And that went incredibly well. Investors get over 20% return on their money. And so that was our start into syndication. So Kathy and I are also LPs in syndications and sometimes GPs in these syndications, mostly ground up residential development. We've done developments in Reno, Nevada. We've done developments. We have a development right now in Park City, Utah. We've been in Florida. We have a development that's almost done in Bozeman, Montana. Like I was saying before, we started with single family. We still do that. We still believe in it. And we've also grown and we partner up with our investors to do bigger deals. 
It's really interesting for me to hear because I'm kind of at that point where I've done single family homes as rentals for the last two to three years or so. And I actually, I own my single families north of Dallas in a small town. You've probably, just because of where you lived, you're probably familiar with it, but it's called Wichita Falls. And oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. Uh-huh. Two hours or so northwest of Fort Worth. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm actually starting to kind of sell some of that portfolio of single family properties to get more into the syndication model or, or at least the apartment buildings. But I do agree starting with single families can be a really a good way to go for a lot of people. Yeah, it's great. Lynn. It's like, it's almost like training wheels, you know, and we have members in our network who have 20 or 30 single family properties and they've got a total system. They got everything worked out, you know, and one family in particular, it's the dad and he did his 10 investor loans and his wife did the 10 investor loans and then they started to bring their kids into it. So now their whole family, they all own investment properties and it's really cool. It's really cool to see what they've done and what they've created and how they've paid those off. They own a lot of them free and clear now. And just they're getting that consistent monthly cash flow. Yeah, one-off single-family houses are tough. Like once we got to like five or so, then like you said, you could build a system, and now it's it's almost like we have a five-unit rather than you know all these single individual houses. So it's not not as bad. But during your speech or your talk at the conference that we were just at together, you mentioned Viktor Frankl. I've heard him talked a bit about mm. before his book Man's Search for Meaning. I know you're a big fan. For those listening today who haven't heard of the book or Victor's story. Give us an overview of the book and his story. Yeah, you know, I heard about Viktor Frankl because I love to study Stoicism. I think it's really powerful that the control that we have over things in our own mind and to let go of the things that we can't control. And there's so many things, especially nowadays, that we can't control. And so it really turned me on to this. It's like, ah, instead of getting stressed out about all this stuff, it's like, I'm just going to focus on what I can control, what's in my control. And so studying Stoicism turned me on to Viktor Frankl. And I kept hearing this book, A Man's Search for Meaning, A Man's Search for Meaning. And finally, I read it and just was just completely captivated with his story. Uh, He's a Holocaust survivor. He was a psychiatrist uh, and and he he studied Stoic philosophy. And so he brought all that in when he was in these concentration camps. And they were abusing and beating him and also the other inmates and uh, his friends and family killed his family. It was incredibly sad. And what he realized in this, no matter what they did to him on this external body, or they t- tormented him or beat him or starved him and all these things they did to him, he realized that there's nothing they could do to hear. They could do whatever they wanted to his outside, but he was in control of his own thoughts. And that led him to creating what he called logotherapy, which is his whole therapy for helping people move through obstacles like this and challenges. And one of the huge things he realized that he writes about in the book is it was the, the inmates that he was with that the ones who lost hope, the ones who lost a future vision and a purpose, those are the ones that would just kind of close their eyes and think about the past and think about, I wish I wasn't here. I wish I was back there. Those are the ones that lost their drive, lost their purpose, and they started to decay physically faster than everyone else and mentally. And those are the ones that died, the ones that didn't have a future vision, the ones that didn't have a compelling purpose. The ones that did have that, like Viktor Frankl, and he's like, when I get out of here, I'm going to teach the world. I'm going to share this knowledge with the world. He actually wrote all his thoughts down. He put it all down. He'd, he'd find little scraps of paper and write these little notes. And he put it all together, this incredibly thick book on all his findings and all his research and everything he's learned. And then they found it one day and they, they took it away and they destroyed it. And he had to rethink and rewrite all of that. And he did. And that's what when, when he was released, he was able to come out with that and create logotherapy and make a huge difference in the world for so many people. So it was the people that had a purpose, that had a drive, that had a future vision. Those are the ones that survived. It just carries over. The the way I love that is like one of my favorite quotes is the one I shared there is he said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our choice lies our growth and our freedom. So it just, I love that. It's like, you really ponder that. And the first time I read it, I'm like, what? (laughs) What's he saying? And the more I I read into it and really looked at it, it's like, so it doesn't matter what it is in like today's world, you know, for him. That response since stimulus was him being beaten, and he could choose his response to that stimulus. And I look at it for me today. It's like someone does something that pisses me off. 
I can get all hooked and frustrated and fight back and, and get it really get me. Or I can take that space to just be like, how do I want to show up? How would my best self show up? How would me at my best show up? And then I get to choose my response. So it doesn't matter if someone's cutting me off in traffic or it's, it's something that even something my wife does, you know, it's like if Kathy does something that triggers me, and usually it's, it's something that's triggering me, it's me, it's not the problem, really, you know, like really taking it and taking ownership of it. And so I can think about, oh, okay, let's pause for a second. Let's do that deep breathing. How do I want to respond to this? What's the most effective way to respond in a loving way and being my best self? Oh, so I love that. So thank you, Victor. Across all the books, all the stoicism, all the investments, all the people you've talked to, what have been some of the biggest financial lessons you've learned on your journey to financial freedom? And what mistakes have you made along the way? Yeah, like I was mentioning that we kept those expensive California properties that were, ne- that were negative in cash flow. And we just thought, well, they're appreciating so much, we'll just hold those. That hit us really hard. We lost a lot. So that was one is huge financial lesson is make sure that you have the reserves to be able to withstand at least six months of a downturn. And it puts your mind at ease. And, and also not only puts your mind at ease, but if there is a downturn and there was something like 2008, which I don't see that happening again, this is a, a completely different time, a different market, different circumstances. But I still got that gremlin. It's like so many of us do who've, who've gone through, who went through 2008 and had losses, or those of us who their parents went through and we saw that and we're like, I don't want the same thing to happen to me. It's like we can, we can calm that gremlin down by having the financial reserves. So I think that's huge, having six months of financial reserves. Like I said earlier, make sure that each, the, every property that you purchase, whatever that investment is, make sure it makes sense from day one. Don't base it on projections of like, oh, if it's apartment building, I'm, I can turn this around. I can raise rents. I can ma- improve management. And then it's, that's going to increase the value by this much. So I'm just going to go for it. It's like, don't make that assumption, you know, especially based on short-term loans, short-term funding or bridge loans. Uh, I think that's a huge lesson too. It's, you know, Kathy and I did construction loans around 2007. Uh, we bought a couple cabins that were being built and we did short-term construction loans. And then we're like, oh, we'll just refinance out of these construction loans and get into a long-term loan. And uh, we didn't do what we do today is we do a construction to perm loan. You know, just that single close loan where it's, we're locked in. I think that's another huge financial lesson is really just don't make assumptions based on blind optimism. Make sure that you got the backup plan. Make sure that an investment makes sense from day one and um, be careful of short-term financing because you just never know when things are going to turn. It might've came from Victor. It might've come from somebody else. But what has been the most important piece of advice that you've been given? It could be about finances, investing, or it could even be about life in general. Oh, beyond the, we have control over our thoughts. That's a big one. You know, I would say the biggest thing for me is that realization that when I get better, everything around me gets better. So for any of us, if you look at yourself, when you get better, everything around you gets better. It's about growth. It's about getting better every day. It's about basing, not looking at the gap of, like Dan Sullivan says from Strategic Coach, not focusing on the gap of, oh, I want to be there and I'm not there and getting frustrated. I I think it's better to look back a little bit and be like, wow, I'm better than I was. I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was riding my mountain bike up a long, long hill. It was a a moderate hill. So I had a lot of time to think and I'm just like, okay, this is going to be a long hill. But I was just pondering things and I was thinking about this whole better version of yourself. It's almost a meme now on social media, you know, become a better version of yourself. And but sometimes it's like these cliches, they're, they're cliches for a reason because they're powerful and because they're important. And so as I thought about that, I was almost relating it to um, I have a Tesla and they're always coming out with new versions that are better, the software and it's a, you've, your software has been updated and each version comes out. And so I started to think about that for myself. And I was like, you know, what, what version am I? Oh, I'm, I'm version 58.4 right now. Next month, I'm going to be version 58.5 and and soon I'm going to be version 60.0. So how do I want to get better over the next 30 days? How do I want to grow and how do I want to learn? 58.5 is even better than this version, 58.4. It was kind of a good eye opener for me. Again, there was one of those things outside you kind of download a cool thought. 
But for me, it just, it hit home. So I'm kind of been stoked on this thing about this 30 day window of like, yeah, I set annual goals. I set quarterly goals. We do at our company and we do for Kathy and I for our financial portfolio and all that. But those personal goals, I'm like, okay, I set annual quarterly. I'm going to start doing 30 day goals about how do I want to be a better version of myself 30 days from now. It's at the beginning of each month. Hope that helps. But I think that that's what it comes down to. When we get better, everything gets better. That's the big one for me. Rich, as we wrap up the show, I want to give you a chance to tell the audience where they can go to connect with you, pick up your book, check out any other content, your podcast, whatever you got going on. Social media, it's just the only Rich Fetke in the world. So R-I-C-H-F-E-T-T-K-E, Rich Fetke on Instagram and all that. For our company, it's just really simple, realwealth.com, realwealth.com. And then uh, The Wise Investor, The Modern Parable about creating financial freedom and living your best life. Well, I'm going to hold up my cover there so we can see what it looks like when you're searching on Amazon, if people are watching. That's on Amazon. It's on all major booksellers. Uh, It's available as a Kindle version. And then the hardcover and the audiobook are coming out next month. And a little supply chain issues on printing. It takes seven months to print a book now. So we're waiting on the printing of the hardcover, but you can pre order it now on Amazon. I actually discovered that myself. I was, I finished. So I signed a a book deal as well with Simon and Schuster earlier or late last year. And when we finished in February, and we're not releasing till September. I'm like, guys, what is, what is the holdup here? Like September to, fit, uh, to September, that seems like a very long time. Like what's going on? But yeah, like you said, the supply chain issues with. Isn't that crazy? Yep. The paper mills are shy. And then uh, Amazon is uh, kind of secretly buying up a lot of paper mills because they need so many boxes. It's limiting the supply of paper mills now too. Just crazy times we're living in, man. Yeah. Their KDP, you know, kind of publishing arm is, is taking over for sure. But Anybody that's interested, I will put all of Rich's resources, book, podcast, website, everything, social media in the show notes for you guys to check out, make it easy for you to to connect with Rich. Rich, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Robert. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.